What makes you strange on purpose? I think I'm a perfectionist. I don't know anything. I don't know, I'm just me. I'm a little weirdo. I'm just me. My unwillingness to stay stagnant. I can only be like authentically myself. The best way I can answer this question is with describing a picture. It's this guy riding a motorcycle while he's reading a book called How to Ride a Motorcycle. Welcome to the Strange on Purpose podcast. I'm Izzy. Let's get rolling. Honesty hour. I did not know what I was doing in regards to launching this podcast, and I wouldn't have been able to do it without Anchor. Anchor makes starting a podcast super, super easy and allows you to not only use their platform to distribute the podcast, but you can even go on your phone or computer and record and edit the podcast right on their platform. Best of all, it's totally, totally free. So if you're interested in starting a podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. I'm Izzy, and my guest today is super, super, super dope, and I am just honored for him to be on the pod. He's done really, really cool things and was recently at ComplexCon and has been like one of the busiest dudes I've, I've met so far in this journey. So uh, without further ado, Noel, thanks for joining me today. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks for having me. So there's going to be people that listen uh, today that may not know who you are or anything like that. Do you want to give them a brief intro as to who you are and what you're currently working on? Uh, damn, that's really hard. I mean, well, I know who I am. <laughs> My name is Noel Bronson. I'm from Bronx, New York. Uh, not born and raised. Raised. I was actually born in Dallas, Texas. But I've been here 99% of my life. Um, and I just, I'm just i all around creative, I guess. I don't really... My title changes per project. Yeah. But uh, they're, they're all just rooted like, in creativity, especially around fashion and uh, sneakers, footwear, sportswear, streetwear, whatever you want to call it. Would you labor yourself as bland as possible and just say like you consult on a project to project basis in a sense yeah for the i guess i don't want to say like later end of my career but the more recent parts of it yeah i guess i became more of a consultant uh starting three years ago probably three years ago i didn't really even know consultant was a thing i can do honestly and um there was someone from nike that be- ended up becoming my mentor that after we met shortly after we met he was like you want to consult for nike and i was kind of like what and yeah. that's where the consulting thing really came from. Prior to that, I was more into design. Um, I was designing for a few brands, plus I had my own brand. But my day job was a retail. I was a retail buyer for a platform NYC, which was the first ever streetwear retailer in the Bronx. Yeah. But when I came on, they were probably about 14 years old. So they're about 20, 20 or 21 years old now, or 21 in business. But when I came on, I was doing all their streetwear accounts. So I oversaw Stussy, The 100, Diamond Supply, Stan Socks, Jason Mark, uh, things like that. I can't remember. A whole bunch of brands. Damn. But if any core streetwear brand I worked with, with them, so Huff, like anything like that. I'm not going to lie. Like, you feel like after talking with you a few times, you you seem like an extremely humble dude. But I'm going to read off a few of the – you mentioned Nike, but on your website – you got Mountain Dew, you got Jordan Brand, you got J Tips, you got Viceland, you've got all these like really, really dope brands, the business of fashion, everything like that. So obviously everything changes per per project, but what's been like that that one project that started your career? One, and then two, what's been another project that like really accelerated it? Uh started the career honestly had to be more or less just when I became, maybe when I was even an intern at Platform, because I started to intern before I became a buyer. 
Yeah. Um, but that really what opened the doors behind the industry. Like I was going to every agenda across the country. Uh, was that four times a year? So that's New York, Vegas, Long Beach. When they had the Miami, went to Miami. They were doing capsule trade shows. So that was like I was behind the scene. You know, like before everything I seen for the first time, probably on hype beats. And now I was seeing things six months early. I was hearing about collaboration before they got announced. And that's really where things were like, all right, I can, not I can do this, but I, I know what it takes to do this because I see all these stuff with people, you know, like when you're in, I don't know if you've been to a trade show, but it's pretty much like Compass Con, but more, I guess, industry-based. Yeah. So like when you're in that space, like you could be walking past like anyone from Jeff Staple could be right there or Nikki Diamond, Ronnie. Ronnie Fee was also the buyer for Kiff at one point early. I was like, you'd be sitting in the booth ordering and he'd sit right next to you and you just talk to him. So like just being in that area is what I guess started my career, give or take, or when it really took off because I did things before that. And then what accelerated honestly was with Nike. Um, I guess that's because it's Nike. People had no idea what I, even, what I was even doing with them, but that's when more brands started reaching out. You know, it was like I guess the stamp of approval. What were you doing with Nike, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, a lot of different things. So when I first, my first ever project with them, that was an official paid project, was, uh, oh, yeah, the first ever one was honestly, I was working with this guy, uh, Ruder Barrio, who became a mentor. He was working for New York, the New York headquarters. Yeah. And he worked on the energy team, which is pretty much like collaboration, special projects, things like that. But the project had nothing to do with that. Some designers had came from Portland. And he had to pretty much create a whole agenda for them for the week to see things in New York. And it was during fashion week, like take the fashion shows, take them to artists, um, studio visits, take them to museums and like that. And I had helped them like put that, put that together. That was my first ever project. Damn. So like nothing, nothing glamorous, nothing, anything. And like the whole fucked up part about that was it happened the same time during off campus. Yeah. Like when the, the off-white shoes had released for the first ever time only in New York. And I couldn't even go to even get the shoes because I was pretty much working. So I was like, and I didn't get no shoes even doing that. So it was kind of like a sacrifice what I wanted. and But it worked out for the best. Was this all, like something that you've always wanted to do? Or was this something that kind of came to fruition like naturally? I had no aspirations for consulting Nike. Probably working with them. Um, like any kid growing up, like right. wearing Nike, you're wearing Nike shoes. You're like, damn, I want to work for Nike, you know? Um, funny story. I had this English teacher in high school named Mr. Tangent. Yeah. And like, I'm a little bit older, so this big Soho and streetwear wasn't like super, super cool yet. But like, he would come to school wearing like Supreme and Lacoste and uh, all these like rare Vans and rare Nike things like that. And like, he was someone that really put me onto a lot of things. So I don't know. I think like maybe at one point, like, he was like, "What do you want to do when you grow up or after you graduate?" And I was like, "Work for Nike or some shit." And he was like, "Well, you know, you gotta go to Beach in Oregon." And I think before that, I even knew what we were to Oregon was. So he kind of put it in my head, but it was still nothing I was ever working towards. Like, I was never really looking that forward to the future. Like, I was never that kind of person. Still not really that kind of person. So when it came up, it just kind of came up. I was never really worked. I'm not going to say I was, it was a lifelong goal, because it really wasn't. But like I said, like, I didn't even know it was possible. Like, I didn't think I was going to get a designer to be a shoe designer. And I didn't know what a consultant was. So it happened organically as possible, I guess. Getting away a little bit from sneakers right now and getting into something that of late has very like blown up again, and that's fitteds and your relationship with J Tips one and then 
just like everything that you've been around in the industry. Like I, I just had on Austin Laboda from Hat Club and he talked a little bit about how this time feels different. Like every style hat gets its wave throughout the years, but this time with fitteds, it really feels different and feels like they're here to stay. So what's been like your, what's been the, the main thing that you see from a consumer's perspective and then just someone that's around the industry that is really showing you that this is here to stay? Yeah, this question actually comes up a lot Yeah, as people talk to me. Um, like industry people, like they want to figure it out what it is. From my opinion, before honestly, I think it's just the generation younger than ours needed something else, right? Sneakers, like for us, it was sneakers. Right. It was rare, it was hard to find. It, it um, differentiated you from other people. But now sneakers are so mainstream, it's kind of like, what can it be? And I think kids just happen to attract these hats and then these special colors and the whole community of it. And it, it reminds me of being in Soho when I was like 13, 14. So I think that's really what it is. Just the kids power, putting the power behind something that had to be the fitted. Um, I think it's here to stay because when, because it kind of really blew up. Well, for us, like I knew J-Tix prior to all of this, like pretty much not childhood friends, but we were friends like, since we were like 18, late teenagers. So prior to this, it's kind of like, I remember when he was like, oh, I know what Hat Club and they want to do this. And I was kind of like, huh, whatever. Like, fitness wasn't big yet. Like, it's still, and then it got delayed. And then during COVID, it was bubbling, like during lockdown. And then that's when his first two hats came out and when everything exploded around the same time his hats came out. And I was like, this is not going to last past the winter, you know, because once the time comes, people are going to put on beanies, too cold to wear fitteds. And honest, honestly, it, it survived that and it's still here now. It's still increasing. We're, you know, still doing more collaborations. You are gearing for more things. So I, I really don't even know when the trend is going to die, but like all trends, it would, it will. And it was never missing. Like people still were had to go to baseball games. You know, it's still a multi million dollar business without the cool part of it. But yeah, I just think the kids just needed something else, and sneakers isn't any it, it anymore. You know, like I see people like all oh, the Sam stores restocking of this, and I, I really have no idea what they be talking about, even though I work on it with tips. <laughs> so it, it's really its own community that it, it's kind of um, impressive to see, but I'm not part of it, and I'm not gonna act like part of it. So I, I can't really speak on it as far as that. But for like a business standpoint, I think it's just a community that needed needed a voice and needed a, a vehicle for it, and they just chose to fit it. Like we chose the uh, we chose sneakers our generation before us yeah before us chose like polo or whatever and so so on and so forth so let's talk about the upbringing your upbringing a little bit and specifically like i just had on jackie monroe from asics and she was talking about how the things around you really impact your creative process and just overall you as a creative so what does like what does that feel like when you're growing up in the bronx and you have this upbringing that not a lot of people all had like had been going through. So what those what do those two things meant to you as a creative? I don't know if that is. I gotta give more credit to my mother. Yeah. For, get, for giving me the environment to be creative, because both my parents are um, immigrants. Like they weren't born here. My mom became a citizen like when I was in my twenties, maybe. So they're both from Jamaica, right? So they're born in Jamaica. They came here, and. Uh, talking about other friends that have, that are first generation American, like their parents don't really back creative ideas, right? It's kind of like, mm-hmm. they don't understand it. Like we came from this, I don't wanna say poor country, but this le- less less off country, we came to here for opportunities. 
you're not going to squander this trying to be an artist. You know, you're going to go be a doctor, engineer, whatever is money that is guaranteed. And my mom really never put that in me. You know, it was kind of like whatever you want it to be. Like I, I could, I'll never forget. I was like a little little kid, and I was obsessed with Ghostbusters, and I wanted to be a Ghostbuster. And she was never telling me it wasn't real. And then I got to an age, and she's like, "You can't be that." But you know, the Ghostbusters are scientists. You want to be science? You want to be a scientist? And I don't think I knew what it was at the time. Maybe I was like six, seven, eight. And I remember she bought me a bookcase, and then she filled the bookcase with a whole. I'm not. I already had a bookcase for like with Dr. Seuss books, but she took that all out and she gave me like this set of books. They were like little kids' books. They had pictures and stuff, like all different um, science themes, I guess, of so, like uh, what space, space, uh, astrology, uh, anthropology, not anthropology, uh, archaeology with dinosaurs and so on and so forth. So I could like find out what kind of scientist I would want to be. And I, I tracked it to space and then I was really into space. I wanted to be an astronaut for a while and wanted to be an astronaut. I got sent to space camp, you know, so like they, they backed everything. And then I say I want to be a fashion designer. Whenever that came around, it's kind of like, all right, go ahead. Like it was never, ever, a, you can't do this or be this way. Like this, whatever, she backed anything I wanted to do. And that really, I guess, gave me the opportunity to not know what I wanted to be, but I know whatever I was going to be, I had someone that was going to back me and be in my mind. Like I was never scared to try something. So that's really that. Then growing up in the Bronx, I grew up in a weird neighborhood. It's a very small neighborhood called Norwood. Yeah. It's in the north. It's not, not really northwest or northeast, I guess, north central Bronx, but it's really high up. Like there's nothing above it. Above it starts Westchester. But it's also the same neighborhood that Calvin Klein and Ralph Lauren is from. But when I grew up there, something had happened in Ireland. So there's a lot of Irish people there. So it was very white when I was a kid. Yeah. And then it, it stayed very white because right after that, like, uh, Damn, one of those European countries with the A, I can't remember what it's called right now. They also had a war, so then those people kind of started migrating there. So it was still white, and then it was Spanish, and the, the minority was probably black. So I was always in this, like, melting pot of different races. I was going to school with, like, different races. And I was, just, I, I was exposed to different cultures. And I think that's something that they would be saying, like, I'm always interested in different people's cultures. Like, I'm not very, I'm not one-minded at all. Like, yeah. like open-minded. I want to absorb everything. And that comes off of my curiosity, which fuels everything I do. I'm just a curious person. So I want to talk a little bit about how obviously having an open mind is huge. But you also, uh, if somebody follows you or anything like that, you do a ton of reading. And that's just like you're constantly educating yourself. And that's something that a lot of people neglect. Um, so for the people that are listening that are big readers and selfishly for me, what are what are your let's let's just call it the top three books that you think everybody should read? Well, Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson. Okay. Um, I'm a super super big big Steve Jobs like fanboy. Like I'm yeah. not ashamed to say that, but honestly, his story just like like I don't know what you're using right now, but I'm like I'm using AirPods on a MacBook with yeah. an iPhone in my pocket. So it's kind of like he didn't necessarily he didn't work on anything, but he still created the environment for these things to flourish. Or it was him that pushed creativity to an ex extent. So I think people should read that, um, even if you're not into him, just to see what's possible, what one man can actually do with a team and beliefs. Uh, Ride of a Lifetime by Bob Iger, which was the CEO of Disney. Yep. Uh, and then, man, I, I don't want to make it all these old white guys. <laughs> what's what's a black one? Uh, I'm not a big fan of his at all. It's not because I'm not political, but um, I can't remember his even call. But Barack Obama's last book. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that one was really good. Um, for me, like 
I'm a capitalist at heart. Like my brain just works with people running business. So like the way he broke down being a president was kind of like how Rob, yep. um, Bob Iger breaks down being a CEO. So I was really into the book for that. So Noel, where are you playing it safe right now? Uh, where I'm playing it safe? I don't know. I don't know if I even play safe. <laughs> Honestly, like I, I, I'm not the best person with the not taking risk. Like whenever I have an idea, I'll take every single dollar I have and throw it into it. But I guess playing it safe will be maybe in like the whole NFT blockchain sector. And I'm only saying I'm playing it safe because I am not, I'm totally ignoring it. You know, like I don't have the time right now to research it. So I'm not really like trying to have people just throw things at me that I don't understand. But I, I know that that is the future. I know what three point of no matter how we look at it is going to be coming. So I guess I'm playing the safe there if I was to say I'm playing safe anywhere. When's the last time you failed at something? And what did you learn from it? Yeah, I fail every single day. Uh, You're the second person to say that in two days. I love that. Yeah, yeah I fail every day. The last time I fail, I don't know. I fail so much. Uh, the last time I fail, I'm pretty sure it was yesterday. What did we do yesterday? I had a, a design deadline that I missed. Yeah. So I, I guess I feel that my time management and things like that. <laughs> but I, Obviously learn from it, I'm guessing. Oh, uh, yeah. I always learn. Um, maybe I should have woke up earlier. I'm still, trying to wake, <laughs> still, still trying to wake up earlier. I'm trying to be a morning person. <laughs> yeah. I love it. So uh, what makes you strange on purpose? My curiosity. Mm. Yeah, I, and I'm not scared to be curious. I'm not scared to fail. I'm not, I don't. I don't have the, what is it, I guess a feeling? I don't have embarrassment. You know, I think a lot of people have embarrassment to hold them back. They don't want to come in front of somebody and people laugh at them. Like, I don't really care. Yeah. I think that makes me, that probably makes me strange. Like, I, like you follow me. Like, so I could be curious about, like, I have like, these, I have to have some kind of OCD. Like, I get obsessive about things for, like, very short spans of time. And, like, I'll be sharing and I'll talk about it. And people are like, what the fuck? Like, I was recently with, like, Olivia Rodrigo. Yeah, like I was in love with her album, and I was kept talking about it. Like, what is not her merch? And I know people are like, Yo, what is this kid talking about? <laughs> it's t- that's hilarious. For the people that don't have that quality about them, that really, really care about what other people think about them, about failing or about just taking a risk at something, what would you tell them to kind of push them along like your path a little bit and make them, in a sense, not care so much? Um. For me, I would tell them go to that skate park, honestly, because for me, like, I wasn't a skateboarder growing up, and I'm still not a skateboarder. But as a kid, I was super obsessed with Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 when it first came out. Like, my older cousin had it. I used to always watch him play it. And, like, I'm a black kid from the hood, so, like, we don't really have, and this is the 90s, like, there's no really black kids skating from New York. They were there probably downtown somewhere, probably the New York kids or whatever, but I didn't know about them, right? But anyway, like, you from the hood, like, you tri- like I said, you trip for somebody, they they're laughing at you if you're just standing in your shirt they're laughing at you and then as i got older i'm going to skate parks and like trying to be a skater but i'm then you see someone like do a trick and they fall and there's no laughter right this clapping is encouragement to do it again try again try again try again and i think that's where my mind came from of like that embarrassment thing doesn't exist as long as you have the community around you that's going to push you like people just laughing at you is not on your side or maybe your friends can laugh at you but i mean like seriously like you say i want to like if you tell me I want to have the, a podcast bigger than, I guess, Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan's the biggest. I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I can't. Who am I to say? Who am I to say that's a joke or say you can't do that? Like, right. I should be pushing. Like, yeah, how do you do that? Fuck Joe Rogan. You know. Yeah. So I think people need this a, a stronger community of people that pushes them, and then just not to care though. You know, just 
fuck people think. Where can people find you? Where can people follow your work and, and tune into the journey? Uh, I guess Noel Bronson literally on every single thing. Noel Bronson on Twitter. I don't tweet, but um, whatever I'm reading on internet like articles, I share on Twitter. I just hit the share button on iPhone. So Noel Bronson on Twitter, Noel Bronson on Instagram, noelbronson.com is a website that I don't really update as much as I should. And Noel Bronson on LinkedIn, I guess. And I don't know. Yes, Google Noel Bronson. I'm pretty sure I have some other websites. Probably for Pinterest <laughs> I don't use. I appreciate you jumping on the pod. And like I said, look forward to tuning into the journey. Thank you, Izzy. Man. I look forward to yours as well. Thank you for listening to the Strange on Purpose podcast. As always, if you enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes before, please like, review, follow the podcast on Instagram, drop a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you check us out. It helps the podcast grow immensely. So I appreciate you. I could not do this without you. 